Um, Stuart, hello. Hi. Would you like to donate to my donkey sanctuary? I've got a donkey sanctuary now. <laughs> right. That's uh, that's good to hear. Um, congratulations. <laughs> Thank on you very that. much. Um, but this is going to be a bit awkward, but I would rather not donate to a donkey sanctuary because... You hate I donkeys. Want... No. <laughs> um, Monster. No, I don't, I don't particularly like donkeys. I wouldn't choose them as a favourite animal or anything, but it's not that I don't like them. It's that I want my donations to charitable causes to do the most good that they possibly can. And I don't think that the donkey sanctuary is the best place that I should be spending my money. You, so you think that rescuing Dobbin off the off the beaches of Blackpool is is not is not an effective way of spending your charitable? I'm, I'm appalled. I'm appalled. I associate. Do- <laughs> is Dobbin not, not a horse's name or a donkey? Know. I, I didn't realise donkeys and horses needed separate names. So <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really got a donkey sanctuary. This whole thing. Okay, I made, it, right, up. Right, I made right. it up. Like, yeah, we okay. just set this up to talk about yeah. the idea of effective altruism uh, because it leads into today's topic, which is about cash transfers, about giving people money, and how mm. we can evaluate. Uh, studies that that give people money in order to try and benefit their lives. Yes. Welcome to the study show. This is our episode about cash transfers. My name's Stuart Ritchie from the I newspaper. And I'm Tom Chivers from Semaphore. Hello, everybody. Yeah, hi. Uh, So what does it mean to to try and do the most good with the money that you have? Yeah, well, so... I mean, this is the basic idea of effective altruism, which a lot of you might have heard of in the context of AI killing everyone. But this is it's actually a really straightforward and simple idea that if you are... Well, when I donate money to charity, which I do some, not enough, I, I like the idea oh, that it's... Oh, get you. Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm admitting you know, I'm, I'm really, You know, I'm really good, but I'm not, I'm good, just enough. not good enough. I could be better. You know, I could yes, be so exactly. much better, and I'm, gonna, I'm working so hard on myself. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the work, Ugh. Stuart. I'm doing the work. Okay, like, I, moving on. Um, yeah, <laughs> if, you, I, if, you, if you donate some money to a charity, I, I think you, might, you would probably want to know that money is doing the most good it can, that it is helping people or doing, doing valuable things in the world to, as, as efficiently as possible. And, that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you might reasonably say, what does it mean to do good? And sometimes that's very complicated and, you know, you're making hard value, value judgments and trade-offs, but sometimes it's not that difficult for instance say say you're you want to help blind people or reduce or um, reduce the burden of blindness and and sight loss on Mm -hmm. humanity and you could donate to a charity that helps that helps train guide dogs and the cost of a guide dog over its lifetime according to uh, one site that i found is it's about fifty thousand pounds for a for a dog over that entire course of its lifetime on the other hand then uh, that's in the Western world, so in the UK or America. The, co- the, the cost of an operation to cure cataract blindness or the cost of antibiotics to prevent or surgery to treat trachoma blindness uh, is a few tens of pounds, depending on the country you're doing it in. Because the trachoma <laughs> and cataracts are very common causes of, bli- uh, uh, causes of blindness in lots of sub-Saharan Africa, for instance. Right. Right. And if you, get, if you, in- if you inter- interfere early enough, you can prevent the blindness with trachoma and it's and you can you could say you could prevent hundreds of cases for the cost of one guide dog and fairly i would say self-evidently that is a more efficient way of doing 
of treat of, of, of trying mm. to reduce the burden of blindness, right? So that's a fairly fairly unambiguous case. Would everyone agree with that? I think. Yeah, that that seems fairly un- unambiguous. But the, 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 uh, there are now these lots of organisations in the mm. world of effective altruism that try to sift through the evidence on different interventions and work out which are the ones that are maybe a bit less obvious, or you know, it's not quite as clear cut as the case of you know guide dogs versus yes uh, uh, these these uh, cataract uh, operations. So um, lots of other things come up. Um, the most common one that comes up is, is bed nets for malaria. So yep. putting, putting nets up above your bed so you don't get uh, um, mosquitoes coming in. They can reduce malaria and save lives very, very cheaply. Mm-hmm. But another thing that a lot of these organizations, including GiveWell, which is one of the top organizations for like effective charitable giving, mm-hmm. um, another one of the things that they favor is just giving people money. Not mm-hmm. an intervention, not an operation, not a bed net, rather like that. Just, just simply giving people money in a direct cash transfer. Yes, they particularly um, suggest one charity called Give Directly, which does yeah. literally what it says in the tin. You give mm-hmm. gives roughly thousand dollar grants to poor people in the poorest parts of the world, and says yes. go and do what you want with it. So the question then is, you know, what what is the evidence that convinced them that cash transfers uh, are 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 effective and we should say that the reason we're bringing this up is that there has been a prominent study of cash transfers um actually not in uh, a sort of developing country but in in uh, in canada mm-hmm. um but that's the that's the reason we're, we're we're talking about this and we'll come back to that but first we're going to talk about the evidence from the kind of low and middle income countries that are mainly studied by Give well and other organizations who are that's where the majority of these cash transfer um programs are happening right Yes, yes, that is. And GiveWell used to have uh, Give Directly and and, uh, Cash Transfers as one of its what they called its top pri- its top charities um saying that so these are the best things you can do with your with your money if you're trying to do the ma- you know maximize yeah. the amount of good in the world. They have since changed that not as i understand it because they think cash because tra- they've downweighted their um opinion of cash transfers but because there's they think there are better things because you can do um, they, like your donkey sanctuary is on there right yeah exactly exactly right, yeah. dobbin must be saved um <laughs> no so so they they now do they've got bed nets but uh, for, which we mentioned before but there's also pro- prophylactic Vaccines, treatment right? yeah well yeah, yeah if cash cash incentives to uh, promote vaccination uh prophylactic treatment for vaccine, for malaria and um, vitamin A supplements in places where people have vitamin deficiencies. We should say this sounds really obvious when we're talking about it, but to a lot of people it isn't obvious that you should you know, really work out the effectiveness of the charities that you're giving money to. And in many cases, people kind of go with their emotions and we're joking about uh, donkey sanctuaries, but actually, a lot of people, people love to give sanctuary. to. Yeah, people love donkey sanctuaries. Or they give to, to like Harvard, and... you know, the, the, or right. to, to their to their old school, you know, yeah, to yeah, these yeah. which they get which are which are registered charities. Old, you know, you schools. feel like you're doing something good there. Mm. Um, but and, are you really? But I, mean, I suppose you are if you're making. You know, you're, you're probably doing better than nothing, and you're making yourself right. feel good, right. which is fine. You know, it's your money. Do what with it, what you will. But if you're, if you are sort of nerdy about it and want to do want to maximize the impact of your charitable donations and probably giving it to the, to harvard is not the way to do it um, <laughs> right you know, right exactly no, okay so theory. what is the evidence then Let, let's go back to the cash transfers in the mm. in low and middle income countries so what is the evidence then that convinces people about cash transfers and we should say cash transfers are either unconditional where you just give people money straight up you just give people mm. some sum of money that can often be quite a substantial amount or you know some large percentage of what they would earn in a year or, or sometimes more than that 
and say, you know, carry on and then just look at what the outcomes are. That would be an unconditional cash transfer. And then there's conditional cash transfers where there's some kind of conditions attached. So like you have to go to this particular class or you have to go to this educational program that we've set up. Okay, so, yeah, so GiveWell has um, done its best to assess the evidence for these transfers. Their most recent thing is uh, from 2018, so that's five years old, and they don't seem to have updated it since then. But, you know, they were, they did look into it quite hard back then. Um, and they put a lot of weight... Basically, I think that, I think it's fair to say there's you know, there's a lot of studies they do stu- they look at, but the, the main one, the one they say put a lot of weight on, is a as a publicly pre-registered randomized control trial of a, of a of a something like give directly does or give directly's work where you just go and give hundreds or thousands of dollars to someone very poor in uh western kenya in this case right okay um and what it showed was that people who you give i mean thousand dollars to was that they they are less hungry on the whole lots of them were had extreme sort of food security problems and they were more likely you know more likely to be able to eat and after they would also have more money which should be unsurprising right yeah um, <laughs> makes sense um, yeah yeah but that's 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 the you know to some extent that's the point right we shouldn't we should uh, that's that's the whole point of this is that you know they they're trying to make we're trying to make people better off in the developing world and this is the most direct way of doing that mm-hmm. um it also found uh improvements in psychological well-being and female empowerment because if uh, presumably if women are, have access to more money they're less dependent on their earning husbands but it mm-hmm. was very short term so they couldn't uh, determine impacts on profits in the longer term uh, there were right. a couple of other rcts looking at nor- these new- northern uganda projects not through give directly that were a bit different they tended to divide people up into groups give them money to start projects together and that found the people were more likely to enroll in trailing in training more likely to have sort of capital to, to, make, to make money to end up with more capital and more likely to work and earn by about eight dollars a month which is a significant chunk for them but it didn't find any particular non-economic impacts but so it's, you know it's finding that these the giving people money help, helps them you know spend money on food and helps it helps them just start up businesses yeah. and things it's also worth noting very quickly that they um one thing that people worry about these things is that they if you give people poor people money they'll spend it on alcohol and tobacco give well sites a world bank review from 2009 saying that almost almost there's almost no evidence for that studies find either no no significant impact or a significant negative impact on transfers on temptation goods and in the only two that did find any positive impact the magnitude is small and there's just a lot of temptation goods i like that phrase that's a good phrase yeah so broadly speaking people spend money on food and there's good evidence i think that they from or at least give well claims there is good evidence that generally speaking people get returns on investment so they buy things like iron roofs so they have to spend less on up on repairing and replacing thatched roofs or they um you know so it's just it's just the obvious thing that makes people richer Right, yeah. I certainly hope that none of the food that they've been buying is ultra-processed, oh, Tom. Oh, uh, yes, that would... yeah, yeah. I believe that's a callback gag, right? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you happen to have heard our previous episode. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing is they don't do... Uh, they mention, you know, a few different randomised trials, but they don't do 
like a meta-analysis or anything as far as i can see no um, but but there are other like systematic reviews and meta-analyses that are available in the in the in the, been published mm. some of them since this give well report to be fair but um there are quite a few out there for different different topics different outcomes you know looking at health ones and financial ones and, and so on there was a big review in, in 2016 by the overseas development institute that that's kind of a that's a very very highly you know uh, you see that popping up quite a lot it's yeah. quite highly cited it's like a think tank that does international development stuff mm. and they looked at all the different outcomes and everything that was available randomized controlled trials and sort of natural experiments about cash transfers that were available at the time in 2016 hmm. and they were pretty positive about the the evidence for cash transfers improving people's lives on all different areas maybe a bit less they thought in health than in other areas but hmm. in things like getting your kids to improve their school attendance you know the cash transfers seem to be helpful um but they did point out that a lot of the evidence is short term you know it's within a few months or even just within a year or something and there doesn't tend to be that much evidence that looks into the medium and longer term they said in 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 2016 there's another 2019 review uh, that looks at something similar and again is very positive but i have to say I, there were a couple of worrying things. Hmm. So you know when you're doing a meta-analysis, that yeah, is, you're getting all. all yep. You get. <laughs> I've done. I've done one in my life, and I'll mm. never do it again. It was awful. I hated it. Mm. Um, it was worth it doing it, but the process of doing it was so painful because you have to look up every. That's the whole point, right? You have to look up mm. every single study that's been done that might be even vaguely relevant to your question, and read every single one, and go through all the numbers, and work out what's going on, and then work out which ones actually meet your criteria and which don't and and so on. So it's a horrible thing to do. Okay. You're not allowed to read literally thousands of, of papers. But in this case, uh, uh, they didn't... They, they In both these, these cases, this 2016 and 2019 review, and we'll reference them both in the show notes, there seemed to be a lot of vote counting going on. Are you familiar with this issue in, in sort of reviews? I think you've mentioned it before. I don't know if in this podcast or if you're just angrily telling me about stuff in previous <laughs> conversations. I think but. it's come up in the in the discussion about the effects of social media on, on kids' uh, well-being before, which is yes. often people say there have been 90 studies done. 65 of them find a statistically significant result, uh, and therefore we can say that there's an effect. And it's like, yes. well... Science is not about counting votes. It's about mm. the quality of the studies. And if some of those studies are low quality that give significant results, then that means we should weight them lower. And if we're not seeing all the results that have been published, then we're going to get a misleading view when we look at, you know, if only mm. the positive results have been published or there's a bias towards publishing positive results, which we know that there is, then uh, you're going to, your vote counting method is going to be distorted. So um, I worry a little bit that some of the evidence comes from those kind of vote counting I, I was going to say methods or analyses but they're not even analyses really they're yeah. just they're very very basic um you know of 15 studies nine were significant uh, there's stuff like that in that 2019 review of cash transfers which again uh, makes me a little bit if it's just a thing they note rather than you know as long as they then do further analysis when do say and the uh, you know or do, do, but do they not do they what's well the uh, um certainly in the 2016 study is just a systematic review it doesn't have a meta-analysis where you're trying to put things together and weight them properly uh, okay. and so on there are subsequently meta-analysis though so that does get around that problem there's one of whether cash transfers prevent hiv 
um, mostly in African countries, but also in a couple of other places as well. They say that there's limited evidence, but you know there are some possible uh, there's some possible evidence there. Mental health. There was a meta analysis on uh, whether cash transfers improve children's mental health. I would say pretty equivocal, not the most convincing thing I've ever seen. But for adults, there was a, a I think in 2022, there was another meta-analysis of all the research on that. And they said generally that there were small but significant effects of cash transfers on adolescents, adults and older people's mental health yep. um, across lots of different countries. So that's you know that that that's um makes sense to me if it was a large effect i would be suspicious right yeah 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 i, w- I would also say right there's um it strikes me there's there's what's the, what's the phrase i'm looking for here there's there are various sort of ways you could divide up these effects i mean uh, and that some of them are more or less surprising right if 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 you give people money directly and they get richer that's almost that's inevitable, right? So it's almost unavoidable. And, then, and topology, so yeah. Exactly. So, well, GiveWell make this point in an earlier review of direct cash transfers that they treat direct cash transfers as having a lower burden of proof than some other some other interventions for the very basic reason that what they're trying to do in a lot of cases is in, is transfer wealth from the rich countries to the poor countries and make people in poor countries better off. And so they have right. more food and so they have more, they can invest in, you know, so that's just because we could almost, we say that people being better off is almost good in its own right, or is so obviously good that it's, you know, mm-hmm. for other things. And so they say, you know, obviously the one of the, if, if cash transfers give money to poor people and it's, then it's automatic. So that's fine. So I'm very easily convinced by the claims that give directly transfers end up making people richer. I'd need a lot more convincing when you're saying things like they improve certain health outcomes or certain psychological yeah, well-being. well-being. Stuff, exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying they yeah. don't, and very plausible they do, but that that is a further step on, and sure. it doesn't. Yeah. So so that's a, yeah. So that's that's sort of what we're getting at here, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the well-being stuff seems pretty plausible to me, and there's other mm. plausible things like there's some evidence for that it helps prevent stunting, like kids not growing mm. to their full height because you can afford more food. more and better food yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly so yeah there, there, there are some things like that but i think the the the, the point is hmm. that this is quite hard to study it's quite hard to study these further outcomes as you say it's easy to study the like have they got more money because hmm. that, look by definition they do yeah. Yeah. but you know you have to run a randomized controlled trial in a country that might not have brilliant infrastructure for doing that sort of thing mm. you have to follow people up over the medium to long term that's why there's hardly any medium and long term studies i imagine is because it's just hard to follow people over that long period of time and so kind of no wonder the evidence seems a bit equivocal for these things and we need lots more evidence yeah which exactly. is where which is where these next studies come in yes there's three studies that i wanted to talk about that have come out in the last few years on cash transfers, um, which I think are all quite bad. And I think illustrate that, I think like us, the scientists who are doing these studies really want them to work. Mm. And that's not good. There's something sort of pleasing about them, isn't there? Because you don't want to be... I, I, I get. We were talking earlier on about you know, oh, but the, one of the worries is that people will spend this money on drugs and alcohol and tobacco, yeah. and I immediately go, oh come on, you know, like um, it, I don't, I dislike the paternalistic attitude of sort of oh you have to treat people in the developing world like children who you can only, you have to sort of right, you can you're only, only allowed to buy this, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they all they, they can't be trusted to go off and spend their money on thing, you know. Whereas I like the idea that you can just give them money and they will make decisions that are most suitable for their lives. You know that right. that seems right. pleasing. To me yeah I, I i agree and i also think you know this is the case in almost every study right that that, that 
you want your intervention to work because it's a well-intentioned thing that wants to help people, mm. right? Like in any in any form of, I don't know, psychotherapy or a new drug that you've developed or something, you want it to work. And so I just worry that when people are doing the studies, they are, are, are biased towards it working because they really want it to work. Mm. And that doesn't give us what effective altruism is supposed to be about, which is a rigorous, non-emotional, non-biased mm. summary of whether these studies work so here's here's three examples that i think are are relevant in this case okay so here's here's the first study this is in nature um so you know big deal mm-hmm. big deal well, journal yeah but want, biggest in the world i think you want your stuff to be published there uh if you're a scientist and it's about whether cash transfers work to make people live longer so reducing early mortality both in adults and children mm. um in low and middle income countries and it's actually 37 different countries that they that they look at Okay. Um, and it's not a direct these weren't direct randomized controlled trials where the, the specific people in the trials are followed up to see if they live longer it's actually looking at government cash transfers where they where the government kind of just gave people money for some kind of stimulus reason or um for health reasons or you know for all, lots of different reasons anti-poverty mm. stuff yeah and then checking to see whether the life expectancy in the countries changes after these things occur right so uh, it's a lot of seems noise. Very, yeah, it's a very seems a quite blunt instrument there. Doesn't yeah, it? You yeah, know? it's a lot of different, lot of noise that can be introduced there, which I think makes the results a bit less uh, reliable. Anyway, right. But my big issue with this uh, study is not necessarily that, although that is a big that's a big problem. The problem is this: like, what what jumps out at you when I read this to you, Tom? This is a quote from the study. We found that cash transfer programs were associated with a 20% reduced risk of death in adult women and an 8% reduced risk in children aged younger than five years old. Um, Okay, so my immediate question is, did you have a reason to think that you'd see it in women but not men? And, right. and under five year olds, but not, I mean, I can I can sort of see a reason in under five year olds rather than others, but I, yeah, why women rather than men? I, I, I just maybe that maybe it's real, but I, I'd like to know that you specified these outcomes in advance. Yeah, that's my problem. Is this uh, screams subgroup analysis? Like right. they they didn't necessarily find the result in the whole sample, so they went into the subgroups, uh, splitting up by sex, splitting up by age, but only in children and not in adults. Yeah. I'm not sure what you know what the story is there. I guess you could give a rationale for it, but the fundamental problem is they don't they didn't pre-register the study, mm. so we don't know what their pre-existing rationale before they started the analysis was. Did they say, "Well, we think this is only going to happen in women and kids under five, or did that kind of just occur as the analysis was done? And those are very different. Yeah. Uh, if you if you if you have a hypothesis and it's and it's and you make a prediction and 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 then that prediction is becomes you know is, is validated by your study that's that's great but if you didn't really have an idea and you just kind of blunder into the analysis and kind of do things and see what's significant that can often imply that there might have been some bias there in the analysis uh you might have unconsciously pushed the results to try and find a particular uh, result or maybe just something random happened and you don't necessarily know if that's you know uh, um going to replicate in any other sample that you then collect in future yeah, what, what i often think about in situ- if you if you imagine you were doing 
dice throwing or or, or, or coin tossing. Imagine coin tossing. You just yeah. you you, to, you toss a, a thousand coins and you see it to see if your coins are all fa- are, are on average fair or not. Mm-hmm. And then you and you can they come back about fair and uh, and they say and then you and then you um they, well, you, they all you say okay well maybe if I divide it up into just look at the ten p's or I just look at the fifty p's or I just look at the two p's and eventually yep. you say, oh well oh, look at the five p's that comes that um. That comes back as oh look the sixty-two percent of them were heads or something like that. And Ooh, now wow, so right. yeah, exactly. Now we can say, oh look, the five P's are biased. Well, yeah, maybe, or maybe you just happen to set dredge through your data until you found it's just a fluke, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a kind of P hacking, you know, this 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 idea that you're trying to get the statistically significant P value by hacking your results and um there are different ways of doing that one is you know running the analysis lots and lots of different times and mm. one is dredging through a big data set until you find something that's significant and and the fundamental thing is that we know that if you run the analysis lots and lots of times you are more likely to find a false positive result that is one that exists in your data set but not necessarily in any other data set yeah. um, so it's not a generalizable result that actually tells us something useful about the world um, and the weird thing about this paper is they, you know, they and they do lots of other analyses, you know, looking at conditional versus unconditional transfers and various other things. And they describe those as exploratory. They say they should be considered exploratory in the context of multiple comparisons hmm. um, or, or, or something like that, which is really weird because why would you, and that that multiple comparisons is what I'm just talking about. You know, running lots of comparisons, running lots of tests means you're more likely to find a false positive result. But they just say like you should consider these exploratory. Well, why should we consider those ones exploratory and not the other ones? Because you didn't pre-register it. You didn't tell us which ones you were, you know, you were going to plan to do beforehand. So why, why should we, why should we consider those ones exploratory and not the whole paper to be an exploratory analysis? Hmm. And why didn't you just correct them for multiple comparisons? Cause you can do that. Yes. So, Bonferroni correction. I, yeah. I yeah. Uh, yeah. Bonferroni is, is, is one, but there's oh. a whole range of other statistical corrections you can use. Hmm. I don't, I and that, what that does is that basically makes it more conservative. It makes it more. Uh, it makes it harder to consider something statistically significant. Um, yeah, it basically says of, if you, if you look at two outcomes, then you have uh, uh, then you should it should be twice as difficult twice as difficult to find a, um, a statistically significant result. Something like that. It's, right, right, right. Yeah, and yeah. and the, there are other ones that are a bit less conservative than that, but are still more conservative than just running all the tests without any correction. Yeah. yeah. So. Look, I think I was not convinced at all by this, and I find it really depressing when there's a study in nature of all places mm. where you read it and you still don't know whether the conclusion is correct and there's not really a convincing case made um, at all for this idea of cash transfers improving people's life expectancy. And they've got lots um, of attention, right? I mean, you know, yeah, something like this in nature will... Blow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, 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 the assumption people make is that if it's, if it's in nature, it must have been through the most rigorous fact-checking peer review possible, but that's... That's not the case. Uh, mm. it, it could have been so much more convincing if they had registered it. So that's a bit annoying. Yes. That was the first study I wanted to talk about. And um, I think it's fair to say that the popularity of these cash transfers, so the idea that they are, you know, that they work so well and also they have all the advantages you talked about, about them not being paternalistic and blah, blah, blah. I think that makes that has made people in even in countries that are not considered low and middle income countries that's made them want to do cash transfers yeah and there's a couple of recent ones in the US and Canada as well poor poor people in rich countries what's your initial thought of that like well my initial thought is if as someone who's 
been following the effective altruism thing for a few years now, is yeah. that one of the things the effective altruists say, one of their sort of axioms almost, is that you want to do your work is that it, it, most of the work should be done in, in uh, it makes it makes more sense to do to do work in low and middle income countries for the simple reason that money goes further there there's a there's a thing they talk about called the hundred times multiplier which i think they maybe aren't so don't use the the let the the hundred figure so precisely these days but they right. basically say on all else being equal if you know nothing else about two interventions you could expect that your money to go about 100 times as far in a developing world a, a poor country than in a rich one just because you know wow. healthcare is cheaper yeah. and you know and also but also the problems that you're solving are often much more tractable i mean you know the like trachoma or um uh cataracts here they're rare because people get get these treatments uh, treated quite easily and also right. in, and, and the healthcare to do it is more expensive whereas if you if you can do it for a few dollars in um yeah, yeah, yeah. in okay. uganda or something so so yeah. instinctively and i think you know generally speaking this is true it is it is the case that doing these sort of, that doing um, charitable interventions in the Western developed world will be less efficient. It'll be harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that makes sense. That makes sense. There's a study that's. I think the idea is that it will go on for a while, and there'll be lots of different uh, outcomes from it. Mm. But the first the first uh, outcome was published last year. This is in a, a paper in PNAS, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, P-Nast. which is also a prestigious journal. <laughs> Has a funny name, PNAS. Yeah, yeah, very, 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 very funny. Yes. Uh, P- PNAS. I've also heard it because it's kind of a slightly lower tier than Nature and Science. I've also heard it referred to as uh, papers nature already saw. That's PNAS or <laughs> papers not accepted by science. Uh, PNAS. But what it actually stands for is Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. And, and it's, it's actually very prestigious. It's a very prestigious journal. And we yeah, it does publish. It uh, doesn't, doesn't half publish a lot of crap, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's true of everything. Though. Well, Sorry. true. It has a particular reputation in my, uh, in my mind. But anyway, I have also published a study there. Disclosure. <laughs> I've, I've written in nature so you know that may, so there you go there you go exactly um, no, anyway, we're moving into on. the dick weaving yeah. contest yes exactly um, okay so this is a randomised controlled trial of cash transfers for infant development um, okay. so low income families in the US uh, for a year either get an extra $20 a month that's the control group or $333 a month and the first study that was in this paper is an EEG study. So that is an electroencephalogram, which is a kind of a, a scalp monitor for uh, electrical activity in the brain. Right. Um, so it's not you don't need to put the person in an EEG in a MRI machine. You just need to put this EEG cap, like it's a special cap with electrodes on it that attaches to your your scalp and detects electrical activity okay okay because i was going to jump in and do the whole aha fmri tiny tiny you know um tiny study size tiny sample size and uh noisy data and all this sort of stuff but it's not that so it's it's well it does well it's not a tiny sample size and i think there were like a thousand people in this study Hmm. um but it is noisy data eeg does produce very noisy data and that's the problem so the claim was that the group in the that that got 30 that got 333 dollars uh extra a month and by the way it turned out that was a large chunk of their income because they were from a poor uh, group. And I'm not quite sure exactly why the 333 number was 
No, I'm, I'm intrigued know, by that. Came, but came about, but yeah, uh, there must I, be some I, calculation you, on the basis of the grant or something. Maybe, yeah, exactly. They had, they had X amount of money and you divide that up by whatever. Yeah, that's the it could be as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what's the maximum we can give to people, you know? Mm. Uh, so the idea was that the, the kids who were given the extra money compared to the kids who were given only a small amount of money or, the, you know, their families were given a small amount of money had brainwaves at one year that were closer to the ones that we then associate with better attentional and cognitive development. So other studies have found that, that kids who are doing better on cognitive development have more of these brain waves, and the uh, the kids in this study had more of those brain waves, right? Mm-hmm. And you might already be thinking, but couldn't you just measure their cognitive development? I am thinking and, that. That's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and they will do that, and there may even be studies in the works that describe that. This study came out last year. But in this study, they hadn't done that. They just studied the EEG. Okay. So there's this weird thing about: does it matter if their brain waves are different when well, no, they haven't no, actually measured their behavior? Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it might it, it it might be a proxy for something that does matter, but it right, and it might be interesting right. to neuroscientists. Yeah, yeah. But, it but, but but it doesn't in itself matter. So that was the weird thing: was that you know, cash transfers affect babies' brains. It's like, well, yeah, maybe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it affects stuff that we care about like their actual behavior their actual cognitive development yeah but perhaps more importantly the main results in the study were not even statistically significant and the statistically significant results were in like extra again non-pre-registered analyses and actually the effects were really small anyway and there's an andrew gelman who's a he's a statistician who kind of um comments on these things goes around destroying this is rubbish this is uh, garbage. you don't want your study to be looked at by andrew gelman no. um he showed that if you just randomize the groups so i mean they were already randomized into you know treatment and control but if you just take the, all the data and just randomize it into any old group you mm. often find differences that are just about the same as in the treatment versus the control group so it, it just seems like a, again a really noisy measure with loads of statistical fluctuations going on Mm. and they may or may not have found something interesting with the eg but it really was not very convincing either way and of course that study got a big write-up in the new york times and uh you know people love a brain changes your brain thing it just drives me mad yeah in almost every case like how how do you think things have how how do you think you learn stuff like everything changes your brain if you see it Right, you know, if, right, or if, right. if you if someone mentions it, you know, yeah. your brain is Create changing. A memory of it. Exactly. If and I mean, admittedly, they they aren't giving the money to the babies; they're giving money presumably to the parents who are then buying things. But the the fact, the idea that some that something changes a brain is in itself utterly uninteresting because right. everything does. It's really. like does it does it improve their behaviour to the point that we would actually care? Yeah. So yes. I found that an example of uh, there's this there's this book about called uh, I think it's part of the subtitle i'm now i'm blanking on the book's name uh but um put it in the show uh, notes which everyone definitely reads it talks about mindless neuroscience so it's this idea of obviously there's the the obvious interpretation of that phrase but there's the other phrase which is like you're looking just at the neuroscience and not at the psychology which is really what we care about um old um Neuroskeptic, do you remember Neuroskeptic? Yes. They used to call it neurobollocks, didn't they? Um, yes. Yes. It's just like when you start instead of just saying this thing makes this this thing makes kids uh whatever, you know, uh, yeah, smarter, be better, say, whatever. Yeah. You've got to say it does something in the frontal striatal verabellum yeah. or whatever, you know. I just made all those words up. But they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're <laughs> um, yeah, it's one particular region of the brain that lights yeah, up exactly, when we do an analysis yeah. and yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it doesn't like it, it, unless it is linked to actual real world behaviour, it's a 
limited interest to most of us most of the time yeah. i think yeah i think it's i think it's pretty it, it, it does it shouldn't convince us but it does in a weird disproportionate way just because it's the brain and it looks cool yeah. and high tech yeah okay then we come to the most recent study which is the one that's at the time of recording uh still kind of being discussed online before and, we do that before oh, yeah. we do that, I'm going to suggest we do housekeeping because we're trying a new thing of doing the inter. Yeah, see, I've, I've, yes. I've, all right. You've, so you've taken a term from other podcasts. I have. Talk about I have. Well, lots, lots of other podcasts, but um, anyway. So, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the study. Well, not welcome. In fact, you know what? I'm, you're I'm, listening I'm, to the study show. You're listening to the study show. You're good at this. I'm not a natural, am I? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> please, if, you're, if you're enjoying this, please do subscribe at thestudieshowpod.com um, or follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do like, um, leave a review, or tell your friends about it. Or if you're feeling very generous, you can uh, become a paid subscriber at our Substack, and you can then uh, you know support the show. And we will start doing more subscriber only content as we start to get numbers yeah. up of paid subscribers that make we're it almost worthwhile. at the point tom we're yes, almost at the point very, where very we, we pledged to do uh, lots of people have been subscribing we're going to do 100 yeah once we have 100 uh, paid subscribers we're going to start to do locked episodes that are just for them yeah. Just for those special, special people who we love yeah. more than all the rest of you. No, no, well, yes, yes, we do love them. Yeah, more we do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so yes, yeah, so, and um, thank you very much for listening. That's it, and smash the like button. So, uh, like button. yeah, let's, yes, let's exactly. do this. The study show is brought to you by Works in Progress magazine. It's a magazine of science, technology, and human progress. There's a new issue out uh, at the time we're recording this right now, at the start of uh, September 2023. There is a new uh, uh, issue and it's got a, an enormously long, detailed and really fascinating article um, by Salone Datani and a couple of other researchers about the malaria vaccine. Um, smallpox vaccine was invented 141 years before we uh, came up with a malaria vaccine, despite the dramatic effect of malaria on killing so many people, hundreds of thousands of people every year dying. Um, this article is the definitive history of the malaria vaccine and uh, actually a history of vaccines in general. There's loads of interesting information on you know, when each vaccine was uh, discovered and, and developed and rolled out um, and all the different ways that we could improve and speed up the development of vaccines in future. It really is. Uh, I, I, can, I can tell that this is going to be a, a kind of reference article and people are going to be referring to this an awful lot because it's just so good and so detailed. Um, has loads of interesting graphs and uh, loads of information. It's a, it's a very um, idea and info and data rich uh, article on the malaria vaccine. So that's Works in Progress. Um, you can find it at worksinprogress.co. We're very grateful that they have uh, sponsored the study show. Yeah, Sloane Dutani really is one of the best and brightest young science writers in Britain at the moment. Um, we'll, have her on our, we'll have her on our show at some point. Definitely should, definitely should. Um, and the, the study show is also sponsored by The Eye newspaper. Um, and speaking of uh, talented young science writers, I'm afraid the best I could come up with is something by this guy called Stuart Ritchie. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah, no. Thank and it's about them. Um, there was a paper out recently about how, how we will know when AI is conscious, because obviously yes. we're, at the moment it's getting... It can get deceptively like it is because you can have a conversation with a chatbot which feels very weirdly like there's someone on the other end and it sort of it talks in the first person as though it's a real person. And the conclusion is that it's not, but it's an interesting question of how we would ever know. And this guy, Stuart, who, uh, you know, 
seems to be able to put one word in front of the other. You mm-hmm. know, so it seems fine. Um, Thanks, yeah. Is is uh, sort of examines what people we need to look at to establish what um, you know how we judge whether an AI is conscious or not. I think it's well worth yeah. a read. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, you can access that uh, if you become a subscriber to the I, and there are subscriber deals that are available to uh, people who listen to the podcast. So you can go to inews.co.uk slash podcast, and you will find, um, uh, certainly at the time of recording this through September, you're going to find a half price deal on subscriptions to the newspaper. So not just my stuff, but a whole range of political analysis, economic analysis, and uh, general news. Fantastic. All right. And now on with the show. Okay, so the, the, there's a final uh, study that I want to talk about, which is this newer one, which is kind of currently in uh, under discussion on social media and so on. And this one is in Canada. So again, not in a low and middle income country, but very much, and they, they, wrote, they write this in the paper, you know, very much inspired by the mm. successful cash transfer studies in low and middle income countries. And this one is about homelessness. Mm. Um, I think they say people experiencing homelessness in the paper, but let's not get into Let's yeah. not get into a discussion of. Okay, yeah, no, I'm fine with homeless. I don't, I don't understand why one is better than the other, and I unhoused. Feel like old man. Yes, I think is another phrase yeah. that people use. Yeah. Euphemism treadmill. Um, yeah, yeah, yes. it all seems rather silly to me. But uh, these people are homeless. Um, we're, we're, we're old men shouting at clouds, aren't we, Stuart? Yeah, yeah. It seems yeah. like it. it. Seems like it. So the idea here is this is an unconditional cash transfer of seven thousand five hundred Canadian dollars mm-hmm. to fifty homeless people in Vancouver. And then there were 65 other homeless people who didn't get the money who are the control group. Yep. And then they, the scientists came back at various points or, or got them to come uh, back at various points to see how they're getting on in various different ways. And during the time that this was happening, this was over a year, over the course of a year, I should say, not over a year, mm-hmm. over the course of a year, they had like a workshop and like life coaching stuff. I think every few months or every few weeks, maybe someone called them up and like they had a chat about how things were going and, uh, and so on. So that happened to both groups, but only one group got the money. Okay. So how did, how did well, they do? Did it work? Well, weirdly the plan, and this is not what you would take from the press discussion of the study. The plan was to look at whether the, the, the cash transfer improved their IQ. That is weird. That is weird. That isn't like I, I would think. Does it improve their like ho- their their food security or that whether they whether whether they've got a home? You know, do people yeah. who you give them seven thousand five hundred dollars to more likely to be homed after how many months? That seems a more interesting, more yeah. important thing to me. And that and we'll come to that. But the initial planned results were for fluid IQ, executive function, and some other psychological measures like of measures of well being. Okay. And that was measured a month after the cash transfer. And the results for those ones, and those were the ones that they pre-registered. They said, we're going to analyze these. And, and by the way, thumbs up, this study was pre-registered. Well done, Great. then. Yep. None of those results were statistically significant, right? The, the, the pre-registered analyses were all null. There was no effect of the cash transfer found on any of these measures. I don't know if you would have expected their IQs to increase uh, after a month of having a cash transfer. I maybe, absolutely would not have done. I mean, maybe if well, they Well, it were... depends on what you mean. Like if, they, like if they can concentrate better because they're, if they're feeling better for various reasons, they've had a good meal and stuff, then you would expect them to get a, a higher IQ, I guess. But that would be a kind of a procedural thing rather than... 
and also it's very sort of step several steps like um steps downstream or you know, right. quite a long way downstream of the thing the way you like you give them the money they presumably get a place to stay and they have f- food to eat and they are you know they generally aren't living on the streets in this awful and and then yeah and then steps, you know, that has various downstream effects and eventually you get to, and therefore they're, you know, they were more able to answer this IQ questionnaire. Right. Which, but why would that fine. be the thing that you... Yeah, well, fine, but I don't... It doesn't, it doesn't... It isn't the thing I... I don't give money to homeless people, which I do every so often, because as we established, I'm a great... Oh, and, God. Tom, yeah. you're such a... Have I ever told you? You're such a good guy. I am a good guy. I'm a good guy, Stuart. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, when I, when I give money, it's not because I, you know, I really hope this improves your IQ. You, know, that's, 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 you look like you could use an extra couple of points on your IQ, such pal. Such a strange, Have a tenor, such a strange you know. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, weird, weird. And I say that as someone who has, you know, done lots of research in the world of IQ stuff, and I think IQ is, you know, unfairly criticised. I think it's very we'll, important. We'll do an episode on that, and I do think it's important and so on. But I do think it weird in this context that you would use mm. it as a measure. However, it, well, it didn't improve their IQs, as we, as we know. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the study... If you read the abstract of the study mm. and the little significant statement, which is like the abstract summary of the study, but in meant to be, it's meant to be in, in sort of layperson language rather than yeah. technical language. And certainly if you look at the press release of the study, mm. it doesn't seem like it was a null study. In fact, it seems like it was a massive success. The press release says the cash transfer worked. Um, and also because they didn't spend it on alcohol and tobacco as much as people might expect. It, the study debunks stereotypes about homeless people spending habits. So, and the whole thing was written up as if this is like right where the cash transfer definitely worked because they they did secondary analysis of stuff that they didn't necessarily plan out. So it wasn't in the pre-registered analyses, but they added them later. And one of them was on homelessness itself. And it turned out that the people who got the the money were, spent ninety nine fewer days homeless during the year than the people in the in the non-cash group that just okay. got the coaching and there's a couple of other things too like they spent more money on food like you were talking about and rent and things like that and e- they, the, the, the authors even control for for multiple comparisons here so that's 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 good too okay so it's both pre-registered and they control for multiple comparisons and yet i'm still upset about this study you sound it yes you do because sound of it. three because of three issues Okay. First one is that, first of all, it's quite small to begin with, you know, 50 people and then 65 people in the control group. Um, and you had pretty big dropout in the study. So, or, or another way of putting that is loss to follow up, which is that when you, uh, cu- when the people come back um, to the study, only some of them come back, you know, a year yeah. later. Some of them have gone off and done other things. Uh, they've moved Just away. Lost contact. So lost yeah, you've lost contact yeah. with them for whatever reason. Uh, and that was about half of the people in the study. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, you lose an awful lot of people from the study. So any conclusions you draw could be biased by the fact that the people who have dropped out of your study are different in some way than the people Mm. who stayed in the study. So they might have been the ones that had more problems. So the average amount of homelessness might have, you know, might have actually not been uh, uh, what they they seem to see from the people that returned. Um, uh, But also it just reduces the sample size dramatically. Um, yeah. down to a much lower to a so much the, the 75-65 was the starting sample size and then it ended up at roughly half that did it? Uh, it was 50 and 65 and it ended up at roughly half that yeah oh right okay um, so we lose loads of information on what happened to about half the people the second issue is if you look at the study uh, it's about generalizability they filtered and screened out a lot of people before they took part in the study 
So they had various criteria that you couldn't have too much of a drug habit. You couldn't have too much of an alcohol habit. You ha- your mental health had to be pretty good. And the question I would ask is, is that representative of the average homeless person? And so when we take, um, you know, the conclusion from this study, the conclusions, can we actually uh, apply them to homelessness in general? Yeah, because you, it, it said, it said uh, uh, well, you, you mentioned earlier on that the the study touts itself or the press release touts it as debunking stereotypes about homeless people's spending habits. But it, you're not talking about homeless people in general. You're talking about a selected subset of right. homeless people with who are who are consciously pre-selected to be to spend less money on alcohol and drugs yeah. and to have less problematic health mental yeah. health conditions. Which so it doesn't debunk stereotypes about mental about homeless people in general at all no. about sort of these virtuous ones who we've pre-selected you know, yeah, you know exactly, the, the virtuous exactly. and, and, and of them the ones that yeah. came back a year later too so it's like yeah. you're selecting and selecting and selecting and then the third issue i would have is just with the general presentation so as i mentioned like it doesn't say in the abstract of the study so that's the even the summary at the start it doesn't say all our pre-registered analyses were non-statistically significant it just said it just goes straight on to the secondary analysis and says look we found this we found this significant result in homelessness and i think that's just spin like i think that it's been spun from you know what was largely you know the plan the plan part of the analyses were non-significant what was largely a non-significant study has been spun into uh, a, a very positive highly you know highly exciting significant study and i think that's misleading as to what actually happened in the in the study in the research yeah that sounds that sounds fair to me and it's another one where like i would be easily convinced that it had led people to spend more money on rent and food because that doesn't sound crazy to me although i'm less convinced by the lack of you know if they're pre-selecting for people to be less to be yeah you know less less spending less on drugs and alcohol but th- that wasn't what they measured and they measured this slightly weird outcome about iq which or it wasn't it wasn't what they measured well you know it wasn't what they, they pre-specified so you've got this sort of like you're you're scrabbling around in the dirt. So they screwed up at first by saying we'll do we'll measure this weird thing. Why and didn't then they having... just register? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't they just register homelessness as the main the outcome at the start? <laughs> you're investigating yeah. homelessness. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, all right. So yeah, and they say although the cash transfer is not a panacea, it's mm. like you can say that again. You you didn't like oh, there's loads of problems in your study. You didn't provide mm. any convincing evidence about this, and yet of course it's in the news. Cash transfers uh, mm. are really helpful for homelessness, and and you know, and even in rich countries and and so on. So, like I, as you said a minute ago, I can be totally convinced that this is real. It's just this study doesn't show it. And I find it depressing that a study in a prestigious journal, first of all, that, you know, first of all, overall, it doesn't produce convincing results. But secondly, that it was allowed to be so misleading. Like one of the things that the whole reason we have scientific journals is that, you know, they're edited and reviewed and people check out the stuff before it's posted online or published in the journal, you know. And if they're just letting authors of studies basically sweep non-significant results under the rug then what's the point of the journal what's the point of all the review process i will say like the it is people like you and uh, from outside science me and and other other you know but also there's lots of voices of people we know and you know who who've been clamoring for pre-registration and um you know registered reports and all these things which are you know ways of making scientists tie their hands to the mast like right and the only way we the only way we know that this study you know that, that, that 
that this was a problem was because we, they pre-registered it. Like that's actually, you know, it allowed us insight into the, the bad yeah. way that the study was presented. But, but generally speaking, journals haven't, haven't got on board. They, they want novel results because they want, because journals like, you know, still, still want to publish things that say, look, here's something exciting that you didn't know. And of course, yeah. on the, on average, things that are, exci- that are, that are exciting and surprising are less likely to be true. I mean, that's yeah. really the sort of fundamental sort of thing about all of this. And it's, it requires a real culture shift in scientific publishing to start saying, we are going to, we're going to demand pre-registration and then demand that you only you know that you only publish the thing with the pre-registered results, and then you can you can say, "Oh, sure, here we also looked at this. It is exploratory, and we should think this should involve more investigation later on with your unpre-registered things." But yeah. you can't, you can't at the moment. That's just not part of the culture. Yeah, yeah, and certainly it isn't part of the culture in the slightly wild west world of uh, press releases, where obviously no one's peer-reviewing them or you know giving subjecting them to. You know, particular scrutiny before they before they go out. Universities write them to hype up the studies that they that they do. And I have I have you know I I, I think maybe we could do a whole episode on why I think press releases should just be abolished altogether. Yeah. Um, increasingly over time, I have come to the conclusion that press releases are really really bad and really damaging for. Science will, in general, but that's say, a whole that's a spicy opinion of mine yes, that I exactly. can express later. It's, it's a reasonable one. I, I'm, uh, we could, there's a there's um there's research onto that onto the impacts of things which we there is, we can talk, talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's let's sum this up. Are you convinced that cash transfers work in the sense of the you know that give well we're talking about in low to middle income countries that they can improve people's lives? Yes. Yeah. I mean, or, or rather, I would take very very little convincing. You know, like uh, the right. idea that you'd give poor people in developing countries who are very likely poor for sort of system systemic reasons to do with their country rather than you know individual problems with their own mm-hmm. you know their own abilities to get rich um are um i could just giving them money it seems almost implausible that it won't make them give them money to do yeah. things to their home or to their business or to totally. buy food for their children right you know that that seems incredibly plausible to me and the evidence that give well presents uh, although it's out of date and, and they only looked at a few studies and r- didn't do a full systematic you know meta-analysis i'm i'm very easily convinced by that i will say i wish they had done a better job of of presenting it clearly because i because i struggled somewhat to work my way through it but i, I, I think had a similar I, experience at the website was not particularly clear as to exactly mm. what the evidence was and what they were using it didn't look some, it didn't look like something really you know clear and obvious like um, yeah. our world in data or one exactly. of those websites and, and to bring it back to your point yeah. about um press releases right press releases might be a blight in certain ways but there is a journalistic skill of presenting you know which god knows academic papers are rubbish at yeah. of just presenting the information people want nice and high and clear you know layman's language uh, yeah which so, so so the people who need to you know the members of the public or policymakers or journalists who are going to write it up can just get the, can understand in clearly yep. what the points are. And I, I feel like that's something that a good press release should do. And actually I'm in, in favor of them when they're doing that is when they yep. hype stuff up. That give yeah. well page was, uh, was, was a bit mealy mouthed. In the, in that, yeah. Well, uh, just, just hard to follow. I'm, and I love yeah. give well, and I think they do good things. So I, I'm, I was annoyed by that. But yeah. anyway, I, I, I think that the, yeah, I, I would take almost no convincing at all. Yeah, say, that, yeah. To be honest, same. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that, that uh, for, for, for many different outcomes, although I want to see the rigorous evidence, uh, but I wouldn't take much convincing. But I think the excitement about how well they seem to work 
means that people are overlooking problems in a lot of the studies. Uh, when I say people, uh, that includes the scientists themselves, the peer reviewers, the editors, who clearly have slipped up on the three papers we've talked about, the Nature one and the two ones that are in PNAS. The last two papers are both in the same journal. PNAS. P- the P- same PNAS journal. Mm. And so I feel like, you know, there's a bit of a, um, some people talk about white hat bias. Like there's, you know, these are the results that are really nice. They've got the nice white hats. They're on our side. And mm. so we can just let them, give them a pass. Um, uh, and I wonder if they would have been much more critical of a study that said actually cash transfers don't do anything yeah it's a waste of money they people just spend it on alcohol like you know uh, you would be perhaps rigorously critiquing that whereas i feel like they haven't rigorously critiqued the studies or indeed the presentation of the studies that say that cash transfers are great yeah i mean i think there's you know we are all nice liberal people who want to believe nice things right and and if you if if it'd be i would like to believe that giving homeless people Money will not lead to them spending money on drugs and alcohol, but will help them build their lives up. And that's just something I would like to be true. But you need to—you do actually need to show me. Like, that's and, a big problem if you—if yeah. you want it to be true. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I—I and I, I can imagine lots of people. Scientists are often nice, liberal people like us, and they also want that to be true. And it's—and and you can find yourself easily convinced of these things if you're not wary of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, and I think that might be that might have been the case in these studies. But you know, uh, to go back to this whole question of effective altruism, of like evaluating the quality of the evidence that we that we have, um, I think these are cautionary tales in the sorts of problems that come up in these kind of studies. And we need to be very, very careful about you know when we're evaluating evidence in this context of you know what is the most good I can do with my money. We need to be very careful for things like pre-registering studies and whether studies are spun in their reporting and whether they've corrected for multiple comparisons and whether they've had loads of dropout and all the sort of methodological and presentational issues that we've talked about. So hopefully this has been a useful discussion of the kind of ways that Mm. things can go wrong. And hopefully it's not, you know, these are the three most prominent papers on cash transfers in recent years, I would say, uh, or in the recent two years, I would say, um, and I hope it's not that this is a, tr- a broader trend that we're going to get bad research in general in this field. Yeah. And I will say, just broadly speaking, uh, from a personal point of view, I th- the, the idea of effective altruism is one that really like seems good and matters to me, right? Like, I, I, I do think it's important to try and do like, identify problems in the world that you can do good with and do good in and then spend your charitable money there. And, and it, it, I think it is really important, the work that they're doing. And that's why I think it's important to chase to find the good studies and focus on them rather than get overexcited by ones that say what you want them to say. And we say this with all due respect to the uh, to Dobbin, the yes. donkey at Dobbin the, the, the sanctuary. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, is that everything, Stuart? Uh, that's everything. Thanks so much for listening to the study show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, uh, as we have said, please give us a like, give us a subscribe, uh, smash that like button, as uh, I think young people on yes. YouTube and uh, t- do they say it on TikTok? I don't have TikTok. But, I obviously uh, have no idea. Obviously not. <laughs> You've but, got kids, uh, though. Who I've are... got kids, but they're nine. We're not letting them anywhere near TikTok. Jeez. Okay, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. No, okay. One of them's nine, one of them's seven. Um, right. yeah, oh, yeah, you so, keep them away from TikTok, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, jeez. Yeah, um, but yes, oh, yes. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, if you are feeling super generous, we will be 
very, very grateful if you had felt like supporting us with a, as a paid subscription. But, no, there's yeah. an effective way to spend your money. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, if, if your outcome is Tom, Tom and Stuart having more money, then that is the most, <laughs> <laughs> the most effective way you can support us. Um, anyway, yes. All right. Enough of that. Thanks very much, guys. Stuart, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, likewise. Bye for now. Bye for now.